0: Welcome to the Men Among Demons podcast. Hey.
1: In a disoriented world, this is the podcast that asks what would happen if we truly put Christ at the center of our thinking.
0: Hey. I'm your host, Dr. Daniel Oberwald.
1: And I'm your host, Dr. Greg Weeb.
0: Hi, Greg. Hey, man. All right. Well, we have a special uh, uh, treat uh, on Men Among Demons for this episode. We have our very first guest ever. Uh, And we want to welcome Paul Blair, who is a doctor of ministry student at Providence Theological Seminary in Otterburn, Manitoba, and is a friend of Greg's. Uh, I'm just meeting Paul for the first time really here on this episode. Um, And we thought it'd be really interesting to bring Paul on uh, because his thesis topic focuses on exorcisms of space, which uh, I think is really interesting right off the bat. Um, but Greg, you and Paul know each other a little bit better, so I thought um, maybe you might want to get us kick-started here to uh, to start the conversation. But welcome, Paul, to the show.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely welcome. I'm, uh, I'm very excited, and uh, once we hatched the plan to have this um, podcast... And give it the name that it has. I right away thought of Paul because I knew uh, I knew that you had been working on this topic now, and uh, I'm also excited to have you on just because it's easy to talk to you and you always have uh, lots of interesting things to say. Not to put the pressure on you, um, but uh, so yeah, welcome. I'm super pumped. Um, I would be interested just to start by hearing a bit how. Uh, you came to be doing a uh, Doctor of Ministry um, on this on this subject
2: professionally. Like, I'm a hospital chaplain at one of the hospitals here in Winnipeg, and um, and so when I started working there, you know the job description I was given was pretty straightforward. What you'd expect, right? I was I was there to support patients, uh, their families, staff members who were going through things. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but as time went on, I kind of realized that there was another sort of not a person, but really a space that I was expected to minister to as well. And it was the hospital. I'd be asked to, you know, when they built a new, new addition onto the hospital, I, I was asked by the staff to come in and bless it or the, the chapel space in the hospital. I'm responsible for, you know, just upkeeping it, but also kind of protecting its sort of sacral character, right? When we have, you know, questions about whether something, you know, a particular usage of that space is, is appropriate or not, you know, I, I'm asked to kind of discern and stuff like that. So the building itself was sort of one of my uh, parishioners in a sense. and And in that line, I was also occasionally getting requests from units and staff to deal with uh, spaces they weren't comfortable with, uh, particularly around you know uh, deaths and things like that, where they were having you know experiences and things that that were upsetting them or uh, you know causing causing concern. So I had these requests coming to me, and uh, I really had no idea what to do about it because um, I mean I've taken a lot of sort of pastoral training, you know, I did a, a master of divinity, I a master's in theology, and all, all, the, all of the, that, that formation and time in seminary and stuff like that, we did not touch anything <laughs> on the topic of demonology or pastoral responses to the demonic. Um, I think it was in one course, basically, the, the instructor just said, ah, if it comes up, just let the bishop deal with it.
1: Um, Is that right? So this is, and this is Catholic seminary and a theological school that that you're talking about, Roman Catholic.
2: Right. And, um, uh, but working in a, a sort of a secular hospital context as a layman, I'm not clergy. Um, I don't have recourse to sort of an ecclesiastical structure in that way. Um, and and the, and the you know the hospital the healthcare system right doesn't have a, a a bishop or a moderator or something like that like it's up to me to come up with a solution here so um, so when I was working on my doctorate ministry and needed to come up with a research topic I thought well here's an opportunity to drill into these questions um, both from a practical and a kind of a theological perspective because. Um. In addition to the question of well, how do you deal with these situations? I kind of had to back it up one step and say like, like, is this a real thing? Um, is is our spaces, you know, hauntings or whatever you want to call it, um, is that real or is that just kind of superstition or you know, too much D or something like that, um, sort of infiltrating our our, our imagination? Because um, it wasn't obvious to me straight away. Because I mean, just Casually thinking about scripture, uh, demonic confrontations are always mediated through a person, right? It's always some someone is possessed, right? There's the the man at Gadara or there's the, the you know, the, the Syrophoenician woman's daughter or, you know, there's all these people who are possessed, but you never really see in scripture any straightforward examples of, just demons kind of hanging out in the space or something
1: like, like that. the, the places are always, the places are always charged and meaningful, right? Like it's in the synagogue or in the, at the tombs or whatever, but it's, but, but yeah.
0: So, so let me start asking the questions of, of a, of a person who doesn't know anything about this, which is maybe helpful for the listeners, but it's also my actual situation right now listening to you. <laughs> uh, the, the first thing I'm, I I want to circle back to actually re-asking you the question you just asked, like, is any of this real? Um, and one, and one of the key reasons I want to do that is that we have been so far on this, on this podcast, on this show, uh, exploring demonic patterns and structures, especially with an eye to society and politics. That that's kind of been our thing and it, it is our thing. Um, well, we said right from the start. We said from from episode one. You know, we do not by any means intend to insinuate that that's all that demons are. We're we're not trying to kind of domesticate or demythologize um, or or turn demons into just a metaphor for whatever, just a metaphor, like which is popular these days in in our culture in, in among a lot of Christians as well. So I'm really interested in what you will say about whether any of this is real, whether they can inhabit spaces. But I I kind of wonder if we need to, to get there with you, we need to sort of start a little more at square one and ask you, uh, what is an exorcism from your point of view? So we can then understand a little bit what an exorcism of space looks like. And maybe if that makes any sense to you. So that's my question to you. What, what is an exorcism in, in a general sense? And, and then what's an exorcism of space?
2: I guess the, the, the framing kind of image I have for all of this is sort of a very traditional kind of um, milites Christi, like the, the militant, the ministry of the church as somehow military. Um, and so if we think of...
1: Right, the soldier of Christ. Yeah. Of,
2: if we yeah. think of the world in the fall caused by, you know, Adam and our first parents in that fall, the world becomes like, not just Adam and Eve, but like the whole of creation becomes subject to uh, devil. And so then there's that whole theme of, of Christ, the victor, right. Who sort of wins back creation. And I think that's what it, Exorcism and blessing kind of go hand in hand. Exorcism is kind of taking away something that has fallen under the dominion of of the powers of evil, and then once once that dominion's been removed, then 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 we bless it, right, and sort of consecrate it to the kingdom of heaven.
1: It's part of the it's part of the liturgical mechanism of a transfer of authority, yeah, right. something like that.
2: Right, right. And that's what you usually, like, for example, in baptism, that's what you see, right? We reclaim the newborn child from the powers of of darkness. And then for for listeners
0: who may not be familiar, an Orthodox baptism begins with an exorcism. Sorry to interrupt you there, Paul.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, And then we claim it for Christ, signing it with the cross and and all that. Um, It's the same thing usually, uh, for example... um, like in the consecration of churches, usually you have some, some sort of similar process, um, a cleansing of the space and then a claiming of it in, uh, for, for sacred purposes. Uh, anyways, if you look through all sort of the liturgies, generally, you know, I, I'm thinking I in the Western, like the Roman, the Latin rite, that's how holy water is made. First, you exercise the water and, and also salt and then you bless
0: them. It's the same in the Eastern Rite as well, Okay, I believe. Yeah,
2: that's right. Absolutely, yeah. The great blessing of water. So, you exercise Mm -hmm. the elements, and then you bless them, right? So
0: If there's anything in there, you pull it out. So, how do things fall under the dominion of what you're describing as forces of evil in the first place? I mean, you you mentioned the kind of fall writ large, but I'm gathering from what you're saying that there is something also more specific about certain places or people. uh, It would seem
2: the, the the fallen state, right. The, the subjection to um, evil is kind of our, our starting point um, for the world. And that's, that's the church's mission, right. Is to go out into the world and reclaim it all back um, step by step, right. To evangelize nation by nation and, Um, You know, by baptism, by baptism, and um, hallowing the 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 whole the whole world until. um, Well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know when or how that process. There's an eschatological end to it at some point, but. (laughs)
1: But in your, like, but in your experience, one of the things that, if I understand you correctly, one of the things that is drawing you to this is that people wind up having a particularly acute experience of, you know, of X, of something in uh, certain spaces, right? So there's, so like, it feels like there's two aspects or maybe it's two sides of the same coin or, or, um you know, a general and a, a specific or, you know, something like that. But, you know, so there's a general, there's the the general sense, theological sense that we have of the, of the world under the dominion of, of death world under the, under the power of the, the power of the prince of the powers of the air. Um, but then it's like, but, a, but actually people also have this kind of experience of certain spaces at certain times, um, an experience of concern. Or something. I mean, I would be interested to know how you to know how you'd narrate narrate that, or or how how people narrate that to you. Um, but it seems like there are certain spaces, right?
2: That reality of the dominion of the powers of the air, or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, it seems like is experienced more acutely from time to time and place to place by people, um, and you know. The most dramatic, I think it's, ex- you know, version of that is, is sort of your classic sort of exorcism uh, um, possession, right? Uh, but I'm, I'm not, uh, in this project, I didn't want to look at possession of people because it's far better explored than space. Um, I mean, if you want really con- like more concrete examples, I mean, I, I can tell you some of the I don't want to get too sensationalist about it, um, but like some of the things that people get concerned about and, and ask me, and then I don't know if
0: that's of interest to you. Absolutely. I mean, that was going to be one of my questions for sure. Yeah, Well, at least a few, and I, I don't, not for the, they might be sensational and that that might be fine. I don't know. I'll some some listenership, but I'm, I'm not above that, but, uh, <laughs> but um I, because I th- I think it is actually quite significant to the question. Because the thing that's rattling around in my head is okay. The, well, it's, we're still on this topic. There's this general thing happening, but there's also these. Just like Greg just said, these more specific. So what does that? Yeah, just what does that end up looking like?
2: So the t- the two situations that I find tend to generate these sort of experiences and concerns, at least in healthcare, are death, and I mean. Not to be like just nasty people, <laughs> um, especially lots of nasty people in succession. And then there becomes a cause and effect question. So, for example, um, uh, one unit, long-term care. So, we're talking about people who should be staying on that unit for several years at least. Um, and... Uh, I can think of one one instance where oh. our, our long-term care unit, we had one room where three people died in that room in very quick succession. Um, so someone who had been living there died. Um, we admitted a new patient. They died. We admitted a new patient. They died. Then um, uh, a nurse gets on the phone with the spiritual care department and says, Paul, you've got to come down here. Uh, there's like, this room, you know, kind of thing. Um, so, so that that was my question. It's like, well, what, what do I do to this room, or you know, kind of thing? Is this just, is this just statistical anomaly, kind of thing, or whatever? Or um, yeah, so something like that. Or rooms where uh, whoever seems to be admitted to that room becomes a very unpleasant person Um, and I don't, you know, and not just like grumpy or something like that, but like, uh, and not necessarily violent, but, but certainly like abusive, unusual way. Um, And especially if that's sort of like, if this one room seems to be just causing people to become miserable and bitter in a way that seems uncharacteristic, um,
1: Oh, please come in and do something about this room. <laughs> uh, right. Again, it's a kind of succession of like, you know, yeah. someone comes in and winds up being sort of a, an unusually sort of hostile in right. attitude or whatever is one thing. Yeah. But for staff to know, and we're talking about like staff here, right? We're talking about hospital staff coming to you.
2: Yeah. Um, mostly nurses, sometimes uh, unit managers, um, healthcare, aides, that kind of thing. But the most sort of in like the most intense that I've I've had requests about this stuff with a manager uh, who and actually this this particular unit now that I think about it has had repeated issues, let's say, but a manager who could not basically fill the evening shift anymore um, for health grades because of sounds and things people were seeing and doors locking on them and drawers banging and uh animal sounds in the walls and all sorts of like it got pretty in that particular hollywood, case pretty
1: hollywood <laughs> yeah
2: yeah in that particular case i did i did uh call in some clerical reinforcements i talked to father Greg yeah you did i eh? <laughs> asked him to help
0: out a little so
1: okay that's, that's,
0: that's wild. So you're getting these calls from,
2: In a, who a are secular these secular hospital from yeah. our, yeah, it's it's not a, it's not like St. Boniface, right? It's not a Catholic hospital or anything like that. It's an old municipal and these, hospital. And these
0: people, some of them might be Christian or people of whatever, right. theists of whatever persuasion, but, but I'm, I'm gathering like, not necessarily. Like, these are people that are having these experiences who are all up and down the line religiously.
2: Right, and that and that was that's uh, a part of my research project. Is I want to, uh, I mean, I, I want to record some of this stuff in a more formal way. But I also, in aggregate with just the stories, I want to know a bit about you know why these people are why why they're interpreting these experiences spiritually as opposed to yeah, just
0: exactly
2: you know like uh, again I can think of. There was one patient who died at the hospital and at the moment of his death, the power across the entire building went out and then uh, lights were flickering in the room and there was music that wouldn't stop playing on the unit on the overhead um, and no people way. were freaking out and they took videos that they sent me because they knew I was doing this kind of research and stuff. <laughs>
1: um, so like, this is all re- this is all recent you're talking about in the last couple of years (laughs) this is all in the last five years oh my goodness so i want
2: so okay so the power goes out and the lights are flickering and the sound system's being weird like why is why are you interpreting this as a, a spiritual event as opposed to a mechanical one um so that that's work hasn't been done yet i still need to do a bunch of the interviews unfortunately covid's making that miserable but um those are questions I want to ask, and also background background information about beliefs. And you know, uh, what do you think? Okay, so you've inter- You know, you've asked spiritual care to come in and do something about the pastoral department. What is your intuition or hypothesis? Like, what do you think this is? Right? Do you think it's? I mean, for for the most part, right? It's a, it's demons or ghosts. Those are kind of the the feelings, right. You know, it's someone's died and now things are acting up.
1: And And no one, like no one's saying aliens, for example, which of course is a sort of a funny thing to think, but like, I had one patient actually, now that you mentioned, I hadn't, that's, that's an interesting,
2: I had one patient who would talk about aliens.
1: Um, Right. Cause like, what are the, what are the cultural, like one of the things I'm interested in are like, what are the cultural idioms? Yeah. Cause all of these things get explained. Like you draw upon cultural idioms to try to manifest. The things that you're perceiving and feeling that you can't. It's not yep.
2: the phenomena themselves don't necessarily, you know, give you a conclusive like, oh well, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously yeah. uh, you know, an archduke of hell or, you know, a ninth ranked demon <laughs> or what like like <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they don't commend themselves as such, let's say explicitly. right So yeah. So like you said,
2: you've <laughs> got to draw on, you know, your kind of either your your religious or theological background or folklore or whatever that can interpret this for you.
0: So what did you do, just for example, uh, well, it sounds like the the that sort of major haunting, which is quite wow. You're sort of blowing my mind, but uh, that might be a little bit too much to unpack. And actually, I'm in a in a certain way, I'm more interested in the smaller things. Like, wh- what do you do in the situation where okay, three people have died really fast, and somebody is concerned about this? Um, and, and that like to my read that immediately makes it a pastoral situation by definition. You know, the pers- the very fact that the person is worried and and sees a spiritual connection then pastoral care is immediately appropriate so what i'm interested in is like what do you what did you do with that do you do you come in and say for example you could say maybe the right thing to do is come in and and tell this person you know look statistically we have x number of people you know it, across the hospital and i can run the numbers and tell you the odds of some you know a three in a row dying within three months this was eventually going to happen for sure within whatever a th- three years this is just math you don't need to worry and maybe that's even true um, but I'm, I'm gathering it's probably not what you do. Maybe that is exactly what you do. So like, what do you do in that type of situation?
2: Yeah. So, so that type of situation, like the fact that they've called me tells me that like the answer you, you just gave about like, Oh, well, you know, like eventually, you know, uh, statistically we should expect this to happen. kind of thing. They know that they can get that answer from 98% of people. um, so I don't I don't generally bring them that because if they're calling me it means that I want something a different like <laughs> a different approach. So my approach I mean like you said I, I I I'm not I don't try to be sort of diagnostic too diagnostic about the situation right? I don't try and come in and like like Ghostbusters with my PK meter to try and prove or disprove what happened. Uh, I think that's futile. Um, for all sorts of reasons, but the very fact that there's this person is bothered, right. I mean, there is this pastoral pastoral care is needed. So, um, so what I, you know, over the years, yeah, I had to kind of concoct stuff to do See, the interesting thing too, I find is that these staff members, when I do come and say like, okay, I, I, you know, I heard about, room whatever and i'm i'm here and i'm gonna go go do something no one wants to be there with me like it's not like they need to see me or or experience something it's just the fact that the chaplain's here he's taking care of it good you know it's almost like i mean it's it's like It's like there's a there's a spill over uh, in the kitchenette. Oh, janitor's here. Okay, great. He's okay. It's taken care of. I don't need to watch him mop, but I I know the situation's being handled. So same thing for me. I've I've come to the unit to be like, you guys want like I'm going to do some prayers and stuff. And they're like, no, no, no. You do your thing. Just we're 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 glad to know it's being taken care of. (laughs) Is the usual typical response.
1: There's like an air of uh, Christ's meeting with the with the centurion right who sends you know who's um where the authority of christ is taken for granted right there's this no the the notion that like you're what like there's something there's something about the situation that just um that people that brings up people's instincts for hierarchy right people's instincts for um the proper role
2: well well and for and for priesthood yeah 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 right i mean i'm like not not in that sort of form i i mean in the more broad sense they want sacrality right and and someone yeah. to minister sacredness um however they understand that and yeah one so just, favorite... just by virtue of my job title they're just, okay great it's done
1: <laughs> right one of my favorite little jokes is uh everyone's an anti-clerical until until there's a demon that right. everyone's looking for a priest
2: yeah absolutely absolutely um, yeah, no, I mean, if that's a whole other interesting subject is is exorcism and popular culture, whatever. But like all of these, right. I mean, that's all, that's all sort of whole genre of horror movies that was started by The Exorcist in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You, you, you notice, I mean, they're starting now, but they never take off. But it's always a Roman Catholic priest. Right. Mm-hmm. It's never, it's never a Mennonite minister who gets called in. <laughs> can't,
0: can't <be. laughs> um, right. But, it, but it isn't, in, it isn't, it's that in real life too. I mean, this happened to uh, some family members of mine who were Christian reformed and became very convinced to so I won't go into the whole story, but, um, and like immediately we're talking to me like, is there an Orthodox priest we can do no one Orthodox priest in our city? I, I didn't really, but I was like, I had met one who, whatever. perished because uh, they they wanted to talk to a Catholic or an orthodox pronto um, and you know what they, one of these people is a minister, and it 's like that 's no longer that 's not going to cut it like it that and that is absolutely <laughs> fascinating now maybe it 's to some degree because of the movies, but i don 't think it 's just that I think that, that there 's a sense what you 're what you 're both kind of um digging into a little bit here is well exactly what you said paul there 's a sense of the need for sacrality the a sense of need for sacramentality and for liturgy in response to these kinds of problems.
2: Yeah. And spiritual authority. There needs to be a
0: ritual. There's got to be ritual in response. And when you have traditions, even if they're, they're Christian traditions, with people who are who have very deep faith in Christ, who deliberately have traditions that don't have rituals, have rejected ritualism, sometimes completely then they even by their own accounts often see themselves to be totally flat footed in this situation.
2: Right. What's the alternative, right? What's the alternative? I mean, if you're not going to address something like this with a ritual, what are you going to, are you going to, are you going to to preach? Are you going to set up a little podium and, and (laughs) and expound the gospel to the demon? Like a sermon. (laughs) Like, yeah, there's really no alternative than, than ritual, right? Is to try to, try to express what you want and make it so through symbolic action, right? Which is basically what
1: ritual is. Oh yeah. There's so much going on here. Yeah. The symbolic action like this, like reaching for meaning because, because the events like this have their material explanations, but that's not the point, right? Like you said before, right? It's, you know, this, you know, the person knows that, 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 they can get anyone to tell them that there's a statistical probability here, but, that, but, that's not, but they're not experiencing it in terms of random statistical pr- probability, they're experiencing it in terms of meaning, and they're looking for a response of meaning. And the instinct is that, like, it just feels like the instinct, the instinct is for hierarchy and order, right? Because what is meaning and what is ritual action but, like, hi- what is ritual but hierarchized action? Right? Meaningful action, ordered action. Like you need a response of meaning to this, to this, this event of significance.
2: Yeah, and, and what they're experiencing is disorder, right? Right. This is long-term care, but now people are dying in rapid succession. Uh, you know, that's that's chaos, right? It's not the, the way things are supposed to be. And so you need an ordering action to uh, reestablish. And then everyone's comfortable again, because now we, you know.
0: It's, oh, and that was just going to be my question. So, like, this this works. Pastorally, I just mean pastorally speaking, because we haven't even yet touched on what you think is really going on in these types of situations. But, like, it works for the people you're caring for. When you get that call, the nurse, this she's now settled down. Yeah, when these well, things it's, it's,
2: it's funny. some Because um, some units, like I think I mentioned before, have had more incidents over the years Um, and you know we there's all sorts of you could explain that in all sorts of different ways it could be this maybe those particular staff are sort of predisposed to thinking this way or maybe that unit is there's something about it that's anyways but um so so i get to know some people who you know kind of submit these requests um so I can think of one like there's a clerk uh, on one unit, and, and when I'm asked to be there for this sort of stuff, she, you know, she'll be like, "Did did you bring the holy water? This one needs the holy water. Like it's it's a bad one this time, you know, kind of thing or yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, no, and and when so and I say yeah, no, I, I got I got my little thing right here. Um, you can choose. She's like, okay, good. good. It's... And I've asked. I've had like, do you guys? Do you want to join me or something like that? No, no, no. We've got our things to do. You do your thing. and
0: we're <laughs> That really is fascinating. They need this to be done. It sounds like it's extremely important in their eyes, uh, but don't, yeah, don't need to witness it. So is that basically what you do? You um, kind of bless this. Well, I guess it's not a blessing. You're saying it's an exorcism, but there's a sprinkling of holy water. and There's a certain set of prayers or or what do you do?
2: Well, that so that was the thing. Cause I, I when this first started crossing my desk, so to speak, I was just like, ah, I don't know. Like, my training was in a Catholic tradition. And so, exorcism in the Catholic tradition is highly regulated, probably the most regulated tradition of them all um, for various historical and pastoral reasons. But so, it just meant like my background was just like hackles up, way out of my element, you know, that sort of thing, um, kind of thing. Other traditions, not so much, right? Like the opposite end of the spectrum of probably the charismatic tradition where, right, like, you know, just sort of anybody and everybody call on the name of the Lord and kind of, I, I think that's a bit foolish. We even have examples in, say, the Book of Acts where that gets into people into a lot of trouble when they started doing that. Um, I think, and of course I'm partisan, but I think the Orthodox have a good uh, approach to this question. I think it's, it's the apostolic constitutions, I okay, can't, it's one of the canons, maybe quintisex, maybe quintisex council, I can't remember. It says that we have no order of exorcists, right? The Latin church has an order uh, of, uh, of exorcists, um, it, it was one of the minor orders. Um, you were appointed by the bishop an exorcist. Um, the, the Eastern church says we have no such thing, we recognize that this is a charism um that certain people are called to do this uh, it is not bound up or tied to holy orders or anything like that um, but recognizing that sort of theologically you can also see the orthodox church sort of prudently um, you know in this is sort of stuff is generally done by clergy or monastics um, so I think that's a good help. That's sort of a balance between the the like well anybody and everybody you know who's baptized can call on the Holy Spirit to do stuff ver- versus the Roman Catholic tradition where I mean there's a whole you know you have to be you have to have the bishop's permission and you have to you know it's hyper regulated in that that case. Um,
0: so and so but, so you had to figure it out for yourself to some yeah, degree. Well, it yeah, like.
2: exactly. Because I. Because I, I mean, in some ways, I, I'm pastorally responsible for that institution, and so I didn't want to just hand it off and just say like, "Oh, Father Greg, you know." Also, because you know, it happens not frequently, but I didn't want to just be like constantly bringing in outside people to to deal with this. Um, so, so I, I had to just, yeah, do a lot of discernment, and that again was part of what led me to do this research project, is too. What are the tools that are out there? What are the pastoral interventions available for dealing with these sorts of situations? Uh, what am I comfortable doing or, or or pulling out of, out of those interventions? What are my limits? When do I you know, need to say like, I need, I need someone else or I need help or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah. Those are all big questions and, and ended up becoming a big part of my, my doctor of ministry. So it's, it's interesting because um, like I said, the history of the exorcism of people is, is so much more straightforward. Exorcism of spaces, like for example, again, going back to the Catholic tradition um, there hasn't been an official rite or ritual or anything like that for this sort of thing. It hasn't been promulgated until 2004. And, um, in the revised sort of post-Vatican II exorcism ritual. So to think that the Roman Catholic Church has gone through basically the last 2,000 years without a rite is interesting. (laughs) It's weird. Um, Turns out- But they need one now. But yeah, but now they need one. So they promulgated one, yeah, about 20 years ago.
0: Those two things together really are fascinating.
2: (laughs) It's interesting though, because I started looking into this. And it turns out I, I found manuscripts and stuff like that uh, sort of early modern, like like early printing kind of thing. I haven't tried to go back any earlier than that. But basically, local dioceses were publishing their own rituals um, for this sort of stuff. But it never made it into the books of Rome until, like I said, 20 years ago. Um, the Orthodox Church, like the, the Book of Needs, the Trebnik, has a, a prayer. For um, a situation like this, I, I haven't yet been able to dig into its provenance, though I don't know how old it is or where it comes from. Um, anyway, so yeah, I've been so that's what I've been doing, a lot of cultivating rituals and things like that, and all these like 16th century uh, you know, little treatises written by exorcists and stuff like that about what to expect and um what do you do when someone well you know another big theological question is ghosts right like is that a thing because um, ghosts are such an eschatological mess like you know I, ideally you just want to ignore them and just say like no that can't possibly be right but um anyway so you know and no one no one's not no one but Virtually no one's writing about this kind of stuff right now, right? There's no institute for the uh, for the expulsion of ghosts or something like that out there. Is putting out a journal, um, so it's yeah, digging through a lot of like primary documents that are basically from the Counter Reformation that have been sitting in Latin and no one's done anything with for a long, long time, and uh, just trying to see what are the common features. Um, what are some of the experiences documented there? Because the, the benefit of those documents, too, is that they, they aren't burdened with our sort of uh, post enlightenment kind of uh, lens on all this sort of stuff, right? The, the sort of the intense skepticism and materialism and things like that that um, color a lot of our thinking on these topics today.
0: So I have some questions in my head for the second half because we're coming up, you know, roughly to where we usually take a break and go over to the to the Patreon half. But I I think it might help to set those up by asking you right now: um, Are are demons real, Paul? Are are the conscious entities, unseen entities, of malintent behind? any of the experiences you've been discussing or that you are you know, dealing with pastorally at, at the hospital?
2: My experiences at the hospital, I have never personally had an experience there um, that was so kind of intense or whatever that I'm just like, Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Outside of work though, I have had experiences where I will say absolutely that, that there are evil spirits in the world who
0: would love nothing more than to uh, get into your soul. So that gives us a good, that gives us a starting point. So uh, well, we do still have a few more minutes in this, in this half then, I mean, cause I, I, I've had the same kinds of experiences as well. I mean, where you, where you get to a point where it's just, you, can't, you cannot deny the reality of unseen spirits. Uh, some of whom are benevolent, we call them angels and some of whom are malicious and we call them demons. Um, so I I'm with you there hundred percent. That, that makes me wonder then about, well, what do you, what do you think about this issue of spaces and how they can interact with that and what's going on in this kind of secular context then? Cause you just said, there's nothing that's kind of been crystal clear yet in your mind to say yes, like well, zero question.
2: In in the hospital, hospital, yeah, in the hospital, I usually get called in after the fact kind of thing, right?
0: Ah, I I see. Okay. You know,
2: all these people have died or um, last night, uh, you know, um, well, this is an interesting one that comes up. Um, Last night, uh, there were sounds of children. Running around and making lots of noise overnight. And of course, there are no children in the unit at night on the hospital. Um, so, what, what's that? And go to, so, I'm never generally around for these types of things. And I always get called in after the fact to, to do something, um, which is why I say it's yeah.
0: wildly creepy. That's just like crazy. Yeah. And so, it now, really is like Hollywood. The, the
2: children thing is interesting for a whole other reason because. Another big part of healthcare these days is um, Indigenous health. Um, and so I, I work with and alongside a lot of Indigenous spiritual leaders, elders, type. Um, and they have a whole other, you know, a really interesting perspective on all, all this sort of stuff as well. Because um, their tradition is not shy about spirits and, 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 those sorts of things so it's interesting to talk with them um, uh, about some of these experiences and, and their their kind of interpretation of what's going on as well so it can be very different coming you know from mine coming from the sort of Christian perspective um,
0: and what was their take on the the children it sounded like there was a
2: well the children yeah sorry um, so there there's uh, I mean a tradition at least in, in the local kind of uh, indigenous, uh, culture here about i mean they, they call them little people which are i guess like the, the sort of the european analog would be something fey right like like fairy or elf or you know that, that kind of thing These sort of leprechaun m- mischievous um small folk who live on the kind of a liminal the, the edges of of the community but um more or less just harass us for for food or candy or attention and things like that. Um, and so that's the, like, I, I was talking about this with, he wasn't an elder in any kind of formal sense, but he's probably one of the wisest indigenous men I've, I've had the pleasure of dialoguing with. And he was very, you know, it's just, he, he told me, he's like, Oh no, that's easy. Um, they want something sweet. Uh, they don't like, chewy stuff though, so no gummy bears go for like jelly beans stuff like that leave it out by uh, a particular kind of tree um because the the unit in question backed onto the river and he said well that there you go right there right the river is like the spirit uh road you know easy peasy um so anyways do this that and then it, it'll resolve itself sort of thing <laughs> um did you do it well did, he did. you leave he jelly did. beans by the river oh he, did. he did yeah okay. he did he did i mean uh he yeah. asked me to help him sort of get get equipped and all that for it um i did my own thing too uh, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, yeah but uh <laughs> to
0: cover the bases i mean when you're doing right, something right. like that it yeah, was, yeah it was
1: an interesting uh interfaith you know, kind of effort just to clarify did the people having the experience of children's voices was that independent of was that experience independent of this framework of understanding them In this, in either, you know, indigenous mode or like of, of, of fairy analog, like were those two things separate or did the people, did the people experiencing, okay.
2: They were separate. The, the children were reported by a few uh, patients on the floor saying to um, staff, like, can you please tell those kids to be quiet? It's like the middle of the night, right? They can't be running around and screaming and making that sort of thing. And I think one staff person also also heard or experienced it, um, and they looked around. and Of course, it's like eleven p.m. on a, in a hospital like like just nothing. <laughs> and um, and given that multiple
0: people had sort of similar experience, then it was decided to call pastoral care. <laughs> that's wild so un unprimed this is not this wasn't like uh a, an indigenous community that has certain kinds of expectations and then where and then they all said oh the little people were here" or something like that because we, we the rationalists could easily dismiss that kind of thing and say well you know you already believe in those and then you, you know whatever it's mass hysteria but to to have people unprimed apparently and well, from from your description independently Report this
2: right, and I, I happened to be talking with this uh, with this indigenous gentleman at the time, and we had spoken in the past about the little people, and I was just sort of talking like, you know, it's interesting, is there a childlike spirits of that He's like, there you go, little people. See,
0: <laughs> just give them some jelly beans by the, the tree by the river. Wow, this is incredible. So, so it sounds like. Yeah, well there's really no question in your mind uh that that there are these unseen forces. Um so I'm wondering if if it might be interesting to pick up a little bit and see if we can play a little bit with some of the intersections between those types of experiences of demons and, and and the kind of work we've been doing so far on this show uh in the second half, if that's of interest to you. Sure. Yeah, no, I I will follow where you guys lead. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll call it there then for this uh, public half of this episode. And a huge thanks, uh, Paul, uh, for being here with us today. Thank you very much. And here's a little taste of what you'll get if you join us on patreon.com slash menamongdemons in the second half of this episode.
1: There seems to be a bit of a correlation that with the more personal experience, the more sort of visceral the sense of their existence is.
2: Absolutely. It's one thing to hear about animals growling inside the walls Uh it's quite another thing i think to hear that at midnight when you're the only nurse on duty and the lights are out
0: no doubt (laughs) all right thanks once again paul and thanks as always greg my pleasure i'm super happy to
1: have paul here (laughs) (laughs) amen your support makes this podcast possible. Find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Men Among Demons for exclusive content and to join the conversation.